Jesus said that we are the salt and light of the world. Look around you. I'm not saying that was a good business model, but that's the one that he's going with. We are it. We are the salt and we are the light of the world. Uh, you know where he said that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? He said, you guys are the salt and light of the world. This was the opening of his public ministry, and there was a bunch of rabble and sick people and foreign people who didn't know the way of the one true God and, and all these desperate people in front of him. And he said, you are the salt and light of the world. And one of the things that really strikes me about that is he didn't say, you might become the salt and light of the world. And he didn't say, if you stick with me and learn my ways, you will become the salt and light of the world. He said, you are the salt and light of the world, which is just very bold of him. And it tells me that the key to being salt and light is not development. It's not training. If Jesus could look out on these people, most of whom had barely any encounter with him at all, and say, you're it. Right now, you are. Present tense. Then it tells me that the key to being salt and light in the world is really just attitude. It's not how much skill you have. It's not how much experience you have. It's the attitude that you have. I am? Okay. I, w I am. Now I'm acting like it. All present tense. Does that make sense to you? It's having the attitude. You know, it's having the, here's a Greek word, having the cojones and the discipline to just do it. I think that's the key. I think one of the huge keys uh, to the fight of life and the kingdom of God is attitude. And in this, you guys are overcomers. Am I right? Because you don't sound at all like overcomers. You guys are overcomers, right? I mean, you got this. You got the attitude that it's going to take. Turn to the person on your left, the person on your right, and say, yeah, I've got the cojones to pull this off. Go ahead. And now that we've broken through every social boundary, I think we're ready for the rest of the sermon. Nothing will stop any of you from being who God made you to be. Am I right? Or I'll put it this way, don't you dare let anything stop you. Don't you dare, because you're it. Because you are the salt and light of the world. Don't you dare let anything stop you. Not, not laziness not stupid compromises, not frustration with someone in your life. Don't let that stop you. Uh, don't let busyness stop you. Don't let fear or anxiety stop you. Don't let putting things off till tomorrow stop you. Don't you dare. Uh, don't let disappointments or failure stop you. And definitely don't let doing things halfway stop you. Can I get some... Amens for that. Don't you dare let anything stop you. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because ultimately, it's not the truth in our head, and it's not, it's not even the desire of our heart that does it. It's not the truth in our head or the desire of our heart that makes us who we should be in life. What makes us who we should be, what gets the business done, is taking action, is doing something, trying. Values, no matter how strong, still need a culture of action and accountability in order to make them live. That's what we talked about last week. So let's practice putting ourselves out there a bit. This is the uh, warm-up conditioning portion of the congregation. So everybody get loose. This is the part that you've all been uh, looking forward to all week. Let's do a call and response. This is a review of last week's sermon. Uh, what, what's, what's the way of the Lord? The way of the Lord is the way of an open spirit, right? So an open spirit is uh, you walk into a coffee shop and you're not like totally focused on your own thing, but you're actually open to what's going on around you. When you walk into uh, a nonprofit resale store, you're open to what the Lord is doing in the people around you. When you're sitting in the stylist chair, you're open. Uh, when you're at work, you're open. That's, that's kind of the way that Jesus modeled. Whatever was happening, Jesus was opening. All right, so this half of the congregation, what's the way of the Lord? Say it. No, no, no. Just repeat after me. But thank you for your enthusiasm. This is a psalm of ascent. This is a call and response. Say, what's the way of the Lord? Brilliant. And you guys will say, 
the way of an open spirit. One more time. Let's rehearse. Okay, so the competitive people are already starting to shout. So let's just let's just let's just compete this all the pieces. We'll just suck all the righteousness out of it and we'll just go for competition. Ready? I don't think there are more people over there, and you have Sonia on this side, so she's worth about 20. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. Ready? Ready? And the angels weep. Beautiful. I love it. Fantastic. Uh, who here is a kinetic learner? Kinetic learner? Uh, I went to this, uh, I, one of the things we did in our sabbatical is that we went to this marriage retreat. And, you know, it is about connecting with your spouse. And so what they made us do is get kinetic at the beginning. They made us do a little spousal dance. I, I had to dance. And it, it went something like this. Come here, honey. Can we remember this? Uh, So right away, you learn a lot about our marriage. <laughs> hey, hey, you're fired. All right, let's say. This one. Oh, yeah, this was great. Six. Kinetic learning. <clears throat> and just, just for those of you who know me, how much do I love my wife? Obviously, a tremendous amount. All right, so that's like, that, that, is, that was not a macho moment for me. So I was thinking about this, kinetic learning, you know, jazz hands is really not my preferred form of kinetic learning. And you know, what I do, you know, I do martial arts. So I think, you know, kata is my form of kinetic learning. All right, so I need two kinetic learners. I, 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 saw, I saw your hand. Yeah, come on up. Come on up. And how, how about a, a, a female kinetic learner? No. <laughs> no, no, come, come on up here, dude. And you're wearing martial arts boots, so that's awesome. Come on, deep sea diving later. Come on, who else? Joanne, I know that you're like Miss Fitness. Come on up here. Coming up here. Don't fall off the stage. Oh. I have. All right, so we can do this. You over here. Okay. You over here. Okay. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, and this is, this is, uh, this kata is called the way of an open spirit. Yeah. So here's what we do. We come together and be present. So grab, left over, and then center yourself. All right, this might take a while. Brilliant. All right, now we do eye of truth. So from there, the hands are up and clearing your vision. Okay, you guys got that one. Up and clearing your vision. Oh, yeah, you can follow along. All right, eye of truth. And then heart of love. <laughs> Just giving it away. Let's do that again. Just give it away. Over. Give it away. Open-handed. That's good. All right. Now, uh, hand of power. Sometimes in life, you just have to punch through. So a little step. Out and punch. Oh, yes. oh that's what I'm talking about. All right. So here, here we are. We're, we're in, uh, we've given away love. But, you know, sometimes you've got to be forceful in the way of love. Ugh. And, and to make that work, every kata has a kia, every kata has a yell. So that's where this one is, right? You know, way the love. Now, punch through everything. 
Brilliant. Did you feel it? But, yeah, yeah, it's flowing. But now, now it's the, it's the spirit of peace, because in everything we take a, a posture of trusting in peace. So back, and we're stable in peace. You got that one. All right, ready to put it all together? So <laughs> I did the dance. All right, so first we just gather ourselves. And then we see things clearly. And then we move in love. Sometimes that life, yeah, it was great. We have the spirit of peace. Give him Rhea, all right. Well, kinetic learners, good job. She makes pink look deadly. Uh, we're going to use that at the All Church Retreat. Uh, we're not going to use the dance. Okay, Sonia might. Uh, Sometimes, in, you know, life is like that, right? You have to fight to see things clearly. Um, and you have to make sure that you're moving in love. But, you know, there's so much against us in life that there's no substitute for just punching through things, just up and being forceful about it. Uh, and all that needs to come from a place of peace, not anxiety or fear, but rather trust. Somebody give me the five discipleship questions. Go! What's important to you? What's God been saying to you recently? What are you doing about it? What's holding you back? Who, who are you bringing along? Who are you trying to influence positively? And how can I help you? Brilliant. Uh, we got it. Uh, somebody give me your one-sentence God story. Come on. Shut it up. One-sentence God story. We did this last week. Homework assignment, write your one-sentence God story. Now visualize yourself going through your day. Visualize yourself going through your daily routine. You're going to be salt and light. What stops you? What stops you? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. In one way, shape, or form, the thing that often stops us is what you might simply call chaos. How many of you know about chaos in life? How many of you know about chaos in the world? Right? It's out there. How many of you are in chaos right now? How many of you aren't listening to me? How many of you think that I have succumbed to chaos? Uh, the universe and the world around you and your daily life is beset by chaos. It's just saturated with it. And chaos, if there's one thing I know about it, is tireless. Am I right? It's always there and it's always pressing in. Uh, the world is not neutral. Like, if you stop trying, things just don't stay the same until you decide to try some more. If you stop trying, chaos overwhelms you, right? Life is not neutral. It's not static. There's always something pushing you downstream. There's this force, I call it chaos, that contends against you, that opposes you every time you want to do something that's good, godly, or in order. It's hard to be good. Am I right? It's hard to do good in the world. It's hard to be godly and full of order in life unless you push through, unless you have the right mindset, the right heart, the right spirit, and you push through. Does that, that make sense? Does it seem like life is like that? In the universe, I think there's only God and godliness on one side and and chaos are losing track of God on the other. It's the battle of the ages. You see it in everything. It's, it's creation versus the formless void. It's dark versus light. It's, uh, it's spirit versus flesh. I'm just using all of these biblical analogies. This is the way that uh, Scripture often presents it to us. It's the kingdom of heaven versus the kingdom of the world, one of the ways that Jesus talked about it. It's the force of life 
versus the forces of death. And this battle never ceases. It's going continually, and whether we realize it or not, we are always in it. Always. It's order and chaos in our lives all the time. And chaos is just, it's just a ruthless and insidious, sneaky enemy. It's everywhere, and it infects almost everything. You see it in every cancer cell. You see it in every crumbling city block. You, you see chaos at work in some neighborhoods. Things have just gone wrong. Just chaos has taken hold. Uh, you see it every time you see one of those fences that is leaning over, you know, decay instead of order. You see it every time uh, you see love that has grown cold instead of staying warm. Wherever there is order in the universe, wherever there is order, chaos attacks. Wherever there is moral, social, or physical health and coherence, chaos attacks. It comes against it. There is, there is only truth. Uh, wherever there is truth and clarity, chaos tries to bring diffusion and lack of clarity. Uh, chaos confuses and distracts us always. That's what it does. And I think life itself is a type of orderliness that chaos seeks to destroy. Wherever something is alive, there are forces trying to kill it. However you define life, there are forces trying to kill it. Wherever the life is in your life, there are forces trying to kill it, if you know what I mean. Uh, and more to uh, the, our point this morning, chaos defeats people. Chaos defeat, defeats people of God, if you can believe it. It's the thing that overwhelms your good intentions. It's the thing that ruins your resolutions and your plans. It's the thing that fertilizes your fear and upsets you about small things. It diffuses your faith and makes it pointless and powerless in the world. The battle is, is cosmic, and it's also very personal for us. Everything in the universe tends toward decay, right? One of the first things we learn in physics. It's the law of entropy, or for your physicists, the second law of thermodynamics. You know, the universe only goes in one direction. It decays, and it slows down, and it cools, right? It is a law, except when it isn't. Because the universe was created. There was nothing, and then something came together. And cosmological physicists call that a singularity. It's a grand exception to the law of the universe. Other people call it a miracle, but physicists call it a singularity. You know, the things came together. But since then, everything tends toward decay and disorder, except when it doesn't. And because there's this thing in the universe called life. Somehow things came together and created living organisms, and the definition of life is it wants to live and it wants to reproduce itself. Life wants to continue, and it wants to spread life. And it's just fascinating that a universe of decay would produce something called life, as we understand it. And of course, God is creation. He is life, and he calls us to be that. Right? The universe is light and dark. There's something about life that has required the universe be set up in this way. We struggle against chaos. We struggle against death. We struggle against decay and disorder. That's who we are. And Jesus came to show us how to do that really, really well. The kingdom of God, as Jesus presents it, the kingdom of heaven, is a sort of aggressive order in the world. The order of heaven, the eternal order of things, the order of life. In heaven, are there any sick people? No. So when we encounter sick people, we bring supernatural power to put them back in order. That's what Jesus did in his ministry. He brought order to disorder. Uh, are there, do demons oppress people in heaven? No. So when Jesus encountered that disorder, he brought order. He brought life. He contended against the chaos. And he brought order and life to it. In the kingdom of heaven, is there anybody ignorant of the love and the presence of God? No. So wherever kingdom people encounter folks who don't know the love of God, who don't know the life of God, who are sort of disorderly in their spirit, they bring the order of heaven, right? We bring order to chaos. That's what we do. Uh, there are poverty or injustice in heaven. No. So when we encounter poverty and injustice, we bring the order of heaven to it. We bring 
order against the chaos of the world, the chaos of the flesh, the chaos of death. Are you following me? This is the only battle there is in the universe. Sometimes it's really big, sometimes it's very small and personal. You following me? We are on the side of kingdom order. We are on the side of life, and chaos will always be contending against us. It's like swimming across a river, right? You don't swim halfway across the river and stop and rest. No, if you stop, the current takes you downstream. So we always have to be fighting upstream. That is the nature of life. Tell me that you understand. And there are loads of scriptures, loads of Jesus' teachings, loads of passages in the epistles that describe life in this fashion. It is a fight. Life, properly lived, is a martial art. And we have to get used to that. You can't gentle yourself into being salt and light. You can't tiptoe into it. That's not how this works. You have to be forceful about it. My life first verse from Matthew chapter 11. From the time of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven, this order, has been advancing by force. And it takes a forceful person to get hold of it, Jesus said. He just wanted that to be clear. This is a battle. Be on my side. And let's bring life to the universe that will otherwise decay into nothingness. Are you with me? Kind of. Now are you with me? I feel a little bit better. Uh, you have to force it. So turn to the left and right and tell somebody, you know, you have to force it. Chaos is such that it opposes every life-filled thing, and it promotes every death-filled thing. It opposes love. Chaos opposes love, but it promotes warped views of love, free love, selfish love, but not sacrificial love. Selfless love belongs to order and, and life. Uh, chaos opposes grace. It opposes generosity. It opposes contentment. It opposes self-discipline. Chaos opposes health and eating right. Uh, chaos uh, opposes true rest. But chaos always pushes you toward unforgiveness and all kinds of money sickness. And it always pushes you toward anxiety. It always pushes, pushes you toward junk food. Um, toward dissipations that masquerade as true rest but are really just exhausting. Um, you know those New Year's resolutions you had? Chaos is what opposed them and kept you from doing them. Uh, chaos is the reason that you haven't followed through on whatever it is in life that you haven't followed through on. You know that thing in your life or that thing in that one relationship that you plan to fix but have never gotten around to fixing? Chaos did that to you. You succumbed to chaos. That's why that didn't work. You know, all those feelings and pressures that keep you from doing that creative project that you wanted to do? You know, that book that you wanted to write, that, that thing that you wanted to get done in the house, or that art that you wanted to master? Uh, probably chaos that did that to you. It's the vague force that has kept you from having discipleship conversations with your coworkers. That's chaos that's screwing with you and keeping you from even trying. And chaos is the reason that Jesus talks so much about the need for forceful action and follow-through. And you know, Jesus talked a lot about the need for forceful action and follow-through. As soon as he told the people, you are the salt and light of the world, then he said, but if salt loses its saltiness, it's worthless. Stark! But he warned us, you know, this is going to take some, some force. Uh, don't don't be the light of the world and then hide your light under a bucket. Why would you even do that? I'll tell you why. Chaos opposes you. You tend toward disorder unless you're fighting for order. You tend toward worthlessness and nothingness unless you're fighting for mission and focus. Jesus was clear about that. Uh, you know that bit about you want to build your house on a rock. You don't want to build your house on the sand. He who does my commandments is building solidly. He who doesn't is headed for disaster. Why did he wrap up the Sermon on the Mount with that warning? Because he knows there is chaos out there. And we will take the easy, lazy way every time unless we force ourselves to do the right thing. Every time. And he knew that. So he kept beating on this same lesson. Uh, you know that parable about the danger of 
building your tower only halfway? Why did he tell that parable? Same reason, because we do that, don't we? We, we just do things halfway because chaos is opposing us and we get tired and, and worn down. You know, he told his disciples how religious authorities would oppose them and how worldly authorities would oppose them. He basically said, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, everything is going to oppose you, except I'm giving you the Spirit. So you're going to win, provided you follow through. Uh, and, you know, there's just tons more teachings on the very same topic. You have to have attitude in order to pull this off. Um, the scripture for today is from Mark chapter 4, uh, and I've put it on the back of your programs. It's from the Gospel of Mark, which is my favorite gospel. I guess it's short and to the point, and I just kind of dig that personally. Um, Mark is written uh, in really inelegant Greek. It's kind of written in, uh, in uh, if, if it were translated accurately, it would be in Pidgin English. You know, kind of simple, very simplified grammar. Um, and so in some ways, that's not a very artful book. But I think Mark was a genius of organization. The way he arranged things, he arranged his stories and teachings in the Gospel of Mark is, is fantastic. Uh, so I want to talk about that a little bit today. But let's read uh, Mark 4, 35 through 41. And uh, probably a uh, familiar story to uh, a lot of you. <clears throat> the day, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. He meant the other side of the lake. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. They've been working very hard. They're going to make an escape and get a break. That's the idea. Uh, there were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up. This lake was famous for its sudden storms. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, or the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. Hilarious picture, right? like this huge storm and the boat is about to be sunk and Jesus is sound asleep in the back of the boat. Um, the disciples woke him up and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? So a large number of sermons could just be preached on, on that right there. How many of you have been in a time in life where you feel like situations are such that you're going to get swamped and drown and, and it seems to you like God must be asleep? not paying attention to all the challenges that are happening in your life. Anybody been there? All right, so that's conceptually is kind of what the story uh, is about. But Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. In the Greek, it's be muted. Or if you want to be really accurate about it, hey, shut up. It's a very forceful statement. Then the wind died down and was completely calm. Whoosh. Uh, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Do you still have no trust? The implication being, hey, if you had the spirit of trust, you wouldn't have freaked out. And maybe you could have done what I did. What's up, guys? Hanging out with Jesus was such a trip, right? Can you imagine? But that's Jesus' teaching moment on this day. Yet they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So we'll talk about that uh, in a second. But I, just let me review quickly what has directly preceded this in chapter 4 of the Gospel of Mark. And it's all of these parables that you probably know. This starts off with the parable of the sower and the seed. Do you know that one? If you've been hanging around church for any length of time, you probably do. A sower, Jesus tells this analogy, this parable. A sower goes out to sow seed, and he just scatters seed all around, and then there are different kinds of soil. There's shallow soil, right? Uh, so the seed sprouts up, but there's no root in this, and so it just withers. Things happen halfway in life. Some seeds never get off the ground, and some seeds grow well, but then thorns choke out the young plant, and those are people that let the anxieties of life overwhelm their mission-mindedness. And then there's one kind of seed that falls on good soil. And we want to be good soil where the seed sprouts up. And what does it do? 
it produces a harvest. In other words, it spreads life. It is salt and light. And Jesus says, be good soil. Uh, so that's one. Uh, and then there's the lamp on the stand. You know, you put your lamp on a stand. Don't cover it. Be who you are. Be salt and light. Uh, that's another teaching. There's the parable of the growing seed. Uh, you know, a farmer puts seed on the ground. And, and that's what he does. And then, you know, night and day happen. And by itself, the seed takes root and grows. In other words, you know, you do the small thing. You do what you do. And the kingdom will do the rest. You know, as if by magic, that's the wrong phrase, but it's going to grow, but you've got to do your bit. In other words, uh, and then there's the parable of the mustard seed, which is you take the smallest seed in the garden, Jesus calls it, the tiniest seed that those people knew about, and you plant it, and what does it do? Well, in the kingdom, it becomes the biggest tree, the biggest shrub in the garden. It takes over. And there are, you know, a lot of ways to interpret that parable. It, too, is about kingdom growth, but one way you could understand it is, you know, just start small, and invariably, the kingdom will take off. But you got to do your bit. you got to do your small bit. And in other words, Jesus is kind of talking about the small things of the kingdom. He said, this is not complicated. It might be hard, but it is not complicated. You do the small things... And I promise you, I promise you, it will work. What does the kingdom do? We've been shouting out this phrase for three weeks. It works. It works. It works. But you got to do your little bit, right? You got to be who you are. You have to be the salt. You got to shine the light. You got to plant the seed. That's your business. Uh, you got to do uh, the little bits. But it's, they're all very reassuring parables, right? How hard is it to do this with seed? How hard is it to stick something in the ground? If you have a lamp, how hard is it to not cover it with a bucket? <laughs> right? We can do that. We can do all of those things really easily. And then comes the story of the storm. Jesus has said all of these reassuring things about the kingdom, and then he says, all right, let's rest. Which sounds like a pretty easy command. We're going to go take a break. We're going to go hit the beach on the other side of the lake. And a storm comes up, and the storm freaks you out. The storm freaks you out. And Jesus stood up and completely mastered that chaos. Why? Well, because he had peace. Right? Because he wasn't rattled when the chaos came. He just stepped on it like a roach. Put it all together. And I think the lesson is, you know, the kingdom is easy. Doing what you need to do is not complicated at all. The trick is just overcoming the chaos so that you do it. It is not hard to rest. You can sleep in the back of any old boat if you're tired enough. The hard part is overcoming the chaos and getting there. It's, it's not complicated. Punching through the chaos is complicated. Do you understand the difference? And that's kind of the Jesus teaching on this subject. So here's the deal. The kingdom works if we do the small things. To do the small things, we have to punch through the chaos. But it will work if we do small, simple things. Uh, the kingdom is not complicated. Kingdom chores are not the hard part. Overcoming the chaos, that's the bit that's challenging. So you have to know thine enemy. We'll just, we'll just quit with a few characterizations of what chaos does uh, in our life. Know thine enemy. The way of chaos. What's the way of the Lord? The way of an open spirit. The way of chaos is wearing you down. First, chaos tries to keep you from doing what's important. Then chaos really, really tries to, do you, to keep you from doing anything that's godly. So first it will keep you from anything that's important in your life. You know, if you uh, need to get healthy, you need to change that habit, you need to go find a job, chaos will try to keep you from doing all of that stuff. And that will be hard enough. But if you try to do something that's specifically Jesus-oriented, chaos will try even harder. And so what happens is that just the normal stuff wears you down. <laughs> and you think that's enough. And then it comes time to plant a seed, and you feel like you've got nothing left. Chaos has 
worn you down. And then, if you manage to do some Jesus things, if you get involved in a, in a church, if you get some momentum going in your life, chaos will try to keep you from finishing that. It will try to keep you partway through. That's how chaos works. It always pushes no matter where you are. And so the fruit of chaos in our lives most of the time is a feeling of being worn down in some way. It's fatigue. It's friction. And that's kind of how you can tell if chaos has you. There's a difference between being tired and being worn down, right? That's the way of chaos if you need to recognize it. Here are some various weapons that, that uh, chaos will, will uh, run against you. Uh, three types, generally. Uh, diffusion, confusion, and intrusion. I went Pentecostal pastor on you, and I did rhyming words. Diffusion, confusion, and intrusion. Now, diffusion is the big one. You know what diffusion means? It means you're focused, but then something happens, and you get unfocused. You get diffused. And that's mostly what happens in our life, right? We step out of church on Sunday, and we're like, I am so focused, and by the time Monday morning comes, we kind of forgot about Sunday. You know, we're on to other things. We have lost our laser beam type focus, and all sorts of things diffuse us, which is why it's such an effective strategy. You know, it's the weeds that choke out the plant, and, and there are just a million different varieties of that in our life, right? Morning traffic usually diffuses me before I even get to the office. You know, I have, I have, I'm not in the way of love by the time I've gotten to the Palama exit. Um, diffusion, so fatigue and friction blunting you, blunts you. It sucks the flavor out of you. That's what diffusion does. Then there's confusion. Uh, and it's often not like real confusion like we think of it, like, oh, I don't know which way is up. Uh, it's just unfocused thinking and living. Distraction plays a big part. I want to do this, but this looks pretty good, and I'm over here, and then, and then it's like, I, I want to know what to do with my life. One of the biggest questions I have, and it's a question I answer almost every week in the sermon, but we get confused. Why? Because our eye is not single, as Jesus says. You know, we don't have the eye of truth. We're not seeing things clearly. We have lost that skill. We're not clear uh, in our own heads. And then there's intrusion. Uh, uh, stuff gets in the way. I mean, you're on your way. You're focused. You're doing this. And then you have a storm that hits your boat. And it has to be handled. It has to be handled. A crisis comes up in your family. Or, you know, chaos very rarely attacks you head on. What chaos does is it starts a fire over here or sends a, a landslide over here. Uh, and these things have to be handled, uh, have to be handled forcefully and peacefully. Otherwise, you're going to have trouble. Uh, busyness is an intrusion. Um, problems in setting priorities uh, often result when uh, crises or emergencies or pressures come up. Here are specific examples uh, of attacks. You can think of this as like, you know, tools that chaos has in its slimy little hands. There is the delay attack. This is one of chaos's favorite techniques against, uh, against us. Chaos loves next week. Chaos loves next Monday. Chaos really loves next year. Chaos really loves the phrase, well, after, dot, dot, dot. Chaos loves all of that stuff. Uh, because chaos knows that it doesn't have to change your mind. It just has to get you to put it off. Chaos learned this a long time ago, and it has used it against us ever since. What happens is that we see delay unto decay. Delay leads to decay. Why? Because the universe tends toward decay, right? Things don't stand still. If delay works long enough on you, if chaos can get you to delay that thing, delay that conversation, delay that action, delay that commitment long enough, then you lose focus, you lose passion, you lose energy, you lose attitude. Chaos knows this. So things don't fail in your life, 
they just peter out. Is this making sense to anybody? Are you with me? Chaos loves this. This is why Paul says, uh, make the most of every opportunity today because the days are evil, he says to the Ephesians. Like, carpe diem. Seize the day. Because if you don't, tomorrow it will be harder. And that's just a general rule of life. Everybody knows this. A stitch in time saves nine. But it's hard because of chaos. How many of you in life just never got around to it in some significant thing that you knew was right? Delay! It's a, it's a super potent uh, sort of attack. There's the identity attack. Chaos will suddenly convince you that you are actually false. And this is fairly easy for chaos to do because in large part you are false or you have been false. Every one of us have been false in our lives in some way. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's the only one in whom there is no shadow of turning, no shadow of deceit. I mean, we're all a little bit compromised in the way that we have lived uh, so far, and, and chaos is happy to remind you of that, uh, but it reminds you of that for a, for a purpose. It gets you to check yourself out of the game on the basis of who you think you are. Jesus went to a bunch of rabble and said, you are the light of the world, but a thousand times this week, chaos will come to, t- come to you and tell you, eh, you're just not that kind of person, though. You're just not the person who does that right? That's not your identity. As if our identity ever kept us from doing the right thing. I mean, what does that have to do with, you know, stepping into a conversation? Uh, Nothing. But you find yourself saying, I'm just not that kind of person, or about that project, or about that follow-through that you wanted to do. You said, oh yeah, I really value that, and you know, truthfully, I've dreamt about it, and honestly, I'd have to admit that I'm called by God to do it. But I just don't feel like I'm there yet. Well, here's a way to be there. Do it. Follow through. But, you know, you get it? Those sorts of mind games, which actually brings up this next sort of attack. The mindset attacks. You know, mindsets, just how you go about thinking of things, how you posture yourself mentally toward the world. And the biggest mindset that kills us, the biggest mindset that chaos uses is vagueness. The brain fog right? It's not that chaos gets you to think something wrong. Chaos just gets you to not think about something. Yes? I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm not going to think about that. I know I should do that, but oh, look, ESPN. Um, Vagueness. And vagueness is a mindset for about 98% of the world. Just not really being present, waking up. Um, I think half-acidness is a mindset. I know you don't know Greek, but, uh, you know, I didn't go to seminary, but I, I learned it online. Um, half-acidness is the opposite of faithfulness and follow-through and, and hard work, you know? We don't want to be half-assed. We want to be full-assed. So turn, turn to somebody next to you and say, be full-assed. If you're really r- rude, turn to somebody next to you and say, I can see you're full-assed. <clears throat> and then there's just sick patterns that we have, you know. Uh, We all have our own little web of lies. We all have our own little web of excuses. We are all specialists in keeping us from doing what we should do but don't want to do. We have amazing techniques at this. Why? Because, uh, you know, we've just not defended ourselves against chaos and not punched through. And and we all have these little gimmicks uh, that we don't challenge very much. The problem is that we're not fighting them. Um, but sometimes they can develop pathologically um, into stuff like depression or addictions or, you know, just these self-defeating patterns 
or these destructive relational patterns that just keep repeating in our lives. And we don't even know why they keep repeating in our lives. But I'll tell you basically what the answer is. It's because of chaos, and more to the point, it's because you've never really contended against them. You've gone through the same motion time after time after time. And what it does, it has weakened you and made you sick enough that now it's hard to do the right thing. And that's basically sin. If you wonder where that fell into things, you know, you have been mastered by falling short. And now it's got a hold of you, and you can't break it even if you tried. You need help from Jesus, and you may indeed benefit from help from the people of God around you. That's why fellowship and community and going to an Ohana group and attending the all-church retreat is actually kind of a big deal. It's because we're all twisted in little ways. We need a little help. And you refusing to admit that and to fight that fight and to follow through on the good things just ensures that chaos is going to continue to kick your half-ass. You don't want to... Everybody uh, addresses the pressure of chaos, but some of us do it in, in sick ways. Instead of naming truth. This is true. This I'm going to remind myself of every day. And I don't really care about what the world says, and I'm not going to let myself drift from this. My vision is clear. I have the single eye of truth. I do. And I'm not going to let my heart grow cold. I'm going to pass out the love in my heart to everyone who needs it. That's my way. And I'm going to do this like a warrior. This morning I got, I got, I find myself getting upset at some people. I won't say who because it doesn't really matter. It wasn't really a big thing. And I just thought, this is going to take me right out of the service. Instead, I'm going to move in love. I really love those people. So my conversation with God was, tell me what's lovely about them. So if I walk up to you today and tell you what's lovely about you, just, just know that I was angry at you about an hour ago. <laughs> Giving away all of my secrets. You know, but every day I'm like, I have things to do. I know what they are. I know how to do them. I'm going to do them, and I don't really care what gets in the way. I will get it done because I'm salt and light. I'm a warrior. I'm not half-assed. I am kick-ass. And that's my attitude because I've got something to get done. And if I don't live like that, I am going to die, and other people are going to die. Because this is a life and death sort of thing. There is death, there's life. There's disorder and decay, or there's eternal life. And that's what I'm going to do. And I don't care what upsets me. I don't care what comes against me. I don't care what disappoints and frustrates me, because I'm going to get to the other side. I don't care what the storms are. You have authority over any storm in which you can rest. Order within dominates disorder without every time. It might be a fight, but I'm up for a fight. Totally up for a fight, because I'm tired of getting beat up. And I'm tired of being unsalty salt. I just, I, I cannot stand that. Just can't stand it. You know? But in, instead of doing all that, you know, we lose our eyes of truth. We lose our heart of love. We lose our forcefulness, we lose our spirit of peace, you know, and then pretty soon we decide that maybe the problem really isn't that. It's just that, you know, the conditions of our life are wrong. We need to change our situation, you know. We need a new job. We need a, we need a new, I don't know, hobby. We need, we really need a new spouse. And, you know, we need, we need a, it's probably time for a new church, frankly because I'm not really feeling it here, and the structure is wrong, and, you know, I mean, they're good people, but they're not really my people. I don't really think I fit here, you know. Um, you know, they're good, but they're not really emphasizing, you know, what, what I think should be emphasized. Don't ask me what I think should be emphasized, because I just think it should be something that makes me feel better. Um, you know, 
you need to change circumstances so that you can be who you need to be, right? Wrong. No. You are where you can be fruitful right now. If you're going to change a circumstance in your life, let it be for some other reason. But your circumstances are not what is keeping you from being salt and light. I guarantee it. And in fact, if you're in a huge storm, that's the place you're going to see the big miracle anyway. That's the place where you definitely need to be salt and light. Don't let chaos beat you. One thing, one action item, we will end with this. The one thing I want you to take away and do is only the small stuff. Do the small kingdom things. It's just the little tiny mustard seed stuff. It's just having the conversation while you shout. Having the conversation at work. It's just walking down to visit your neighbors. It's, it's just, just talking, you know. It's just letting it out. It's just doing the kind gesture. It's the small stuff. It's not complicated. What's complicated is just punching through the chaos, chaos and doing it. Just do the small kingdom stuff. Oh, Father God, I pray that you would remind us of a few small things that we could do. But more than that, Lord, give us the kingdom attitude. Give us the kingdom attitude. The attitude of salt, the attitude of light, the attitude of truth, of love, of forceful living, and of the posture of trust and peace no matter what our circumstances are. And Holy Spirit, our helper, I pray that you would convict us, that you would point out to us the things that are stopping us from following through. My question this morning is, what's stopping you? And my call to prayer this morning is, repent of whatever's stopping you. I'll have the prayer team go over to the Makai wall. And this will be our call to ministry this morning. How has chaos kicked your butt? What compromise have you made with chaos? It could be a small thing. It could be that you're getting frustrated and angry. Uh, it could be that your schedule is out of control and you're just always showing up late and half-hearted. It could be a sin and a pathology that just has you racked. It could be repentance from a mindset, or it could be repentance from a major sin. But I'm telling you, you've got to get it out. And so a good step, it's just a small step, but it will lead to big things, is going and letting these guys pray for you. What they'll do is put a hand on your shoulder and invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to come. So if you know that you need to repent, which is to say you need to change your mind in your life with respect to something that's keeping you in chaos, go visit these guys.